Hey Singapore, you're watching episode 12 of SG Sports Uncut. I'm your host, Raj Kumar, and Uncut is the show that brings you closer to our Team Singapore athletes and officials. On today's show, we thrust the spotlight on the sport of squash. Is the sport still relevant and popular among Singaporeans today? And what are the future plans of squash in Singapore? Well, for that and much more, join us in our discussion with the Singapore Squash Rackets Association. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 12 of SG Sports Uncut, uh, President of the Singapore Squash Rackets Association, Patrick Theo. Let's uh, begin this discussion with you and as we are now already into 2020, what is your assessment of the overall current squash scene in Singapore? I think uh, overall it has been very vibrant. We have uh, many activities that we have been conducting over the year mm-hmm. and uh, even more activities planned. We have uh, junior tournaments, we have our senior circuits, mm-hmm. we have the National Squash League going on. So many events going throughout the year. So uh, it's very vibrant. We also have plans to bring in an overseas uh, exhibition match and uh, some of the world's best players, we plan to bring them in uh, end of June and uh, do look out for that. So uh, we'll touch on that a little later on. Uh, What is your take on the national teams uh, which competed at the SEA Games about two months ago? Uh, we sent the men's and the women's teams uh, respectively. I was there covering as well together with our uh, SG Sports TV crew. And uh, your overall thoughts on both the men and the women? I think um, it's unfortunate. I think most people know that uh, there was some change in the format of the game yeah. uh, because the courts were not ready, unfortunately. For the doubles. For the doubles. The squash doubles. And uh, it's for jumbo doubles as well as the international doubles. Correct. So uh, that was an area that we were actually focusing on. Mm. So unfortunately, that did not uh, come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we did uh, play in the singles, uh, we did meet our expectations uh, for the men's as well as the women's team. Okay. Uh, but uh, it wasn't our strength in that area. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's turn to Vice President of the, of the SSRA, Josephine Chu. A follow-up question on the SEA Games. Uh, the squad fell short of uh, delivering a gold medal this time around uh, in Manila. And even though the squash doubles was cancelled, as uh, Patrick said, like uh, I believe one month before the Games, what was SSRA's planned target for the athletes to achieve? Um, okay, actually we internally we were targeting for two goals. Uh, understandably from the, the jumbo doubles, mm. uh, two uh, silvers mm. as well as uh, three bronzes. So in the end, uh, we actually still managed to sort of meet our targets without the two goals. Okay. Yeah, so we still got two silvers and three bronzes. Okay. Yeah. I understand that just before the end of 2019, the NSA sent a squad of players to compete in the World Men's Team Championships for the very first time. How did uh, Samuel and the other athletes, Samuel Kang and the other athletes fare in the United States? Right. Um, okay, I would say this was more a... Uh, event for exposure and participation. Mm. Uh, In fact, it was just a subsidized kind of arrangement we had with players that were interested. So this was not really our first team uh, that went because it was almost immediately after the SEA Games. Um, But I think they they really had a a very good experience because they were able to play with, can you imagine like the world top, you know, these are professionals, the top few in the world and all that. So it was really very good exposure. Okay. Yeah. So we were actually uh, not really expecting very much from that team. Okay. Yeah. So Samuel was injured just before the That's three right. games final. He, did he get to play? Um, he actually went okay. uh, and he did play. Ah, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's hear now from the chairwoman of uh, the coaching div- the coaching division in Joanna Yu. 
Uh, Joanna, my first question to you relates to the appointment of our former men's gold medalist in Vivian Ramanan as the coach of the SEA Games squad. This took place around eight weeks before the SEA Games. Could you tell us how this appointment came about? Especially since in 2017, he was still competing and winning gold medals for the Republic. Um, I think um, his appointment came about because uh, we all know that Alan resigned at that point. It was uh, not an ideal situation. And Vivian was a natural selection because uh, of his experience in SEA uh, Games and he was actually already working as a coach under SSRA. Mm. So his knowledge of the players and um, his experience uh, at that level, I think he was a natural selection for us to appoint him to lead the team. Okay. And at that time, um, uh, you know, we, we wanted minimum disruption for our players and consistency for our SEA Games players. So Team Arnold was also uh, still coaching our team till end of November. Right. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it's no secret that yeah. former technical director Alan Soizer yeah. and the national coach Timothy Arnold left the NSA after the new ex-school was elected yes. last September. Yeah. Did their departures eight weeks before the games affect the players' preparations, which according to local media reports, they did air their concerns during the AGM, Joanna. Yeah, uh, so I, would, I wouldn't think that it was major disruption uh, because the, the committee actually tried to minimize um, the disruption we had. In fact, Team Arnold working till end of November. Okay. Yeah, um, he was still working with the SEA Games squad. They were still booking sessions with him. And Wyan is still under Specs um, scholarship. So she continued to train with Team. And um, we brought in Alvin Kyo and uh, Naviswan. Naviswan is world top 30 and he, they came down to spar with our players. Mm. So in fact, we beef up um, our preparation for the SEA Games mm. yeah, uh, during that time. From an outsider's point of view, yeah. I mean the fact that I covered quite yes. a bit of uh, the squash team. Yes. I can tell you the players didn't mm. seem like they were mm. affected in any way because mm. Vivian had it under control. And uh, I mean the tournament is the tournament. Yes. The caliber of the opponents just, yeah. you know, in certain matches mm. just didn't go our way. But yeah. I think our athletes laid it all on the court and uh, they did the Republic the best that they could given the short uh, preparation time. Coming back to Patrick, uh, now that it's been five months since the departure of Alan and Timothy, are you in a position today to briefly explain their reasons for leaving the NSA, especially when there were some rumours of not being able to see eye to eye on a few issues? Uh, I think um, there were differences, as you mentioned, uh, unable to see eye to eye. I think uh, Ellen's methods were a bit different from what our expectations are. Uh, there was a lack of transparency, mm. uh, there wasn't a proper selection criteria, and uh, these uh, contributed to uh, some of the decisions we took. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, maybe you have heard also uh, this um, uh, improper conduct that he mm. uh, encountered and uh, we didn't think it was uh, right and yeah. there shouldn't be any cover-up. So we already went through the investigations mm -hmm. and we decided on actions to be taken. And uh, Alan decided it was best that uh, he resigned. Okay. Uh, I understand that Timothy Arnold, just as uh, Joanna mentioned, is still involved in the local scene as he's uh, training our national players like Sneha Sivakuma and Aoyong Wayan, Wayan as part of the SPECS program, which is under the Singapore Sports Institute. Uh, we are still uh, uh, engaging with him to mm. work with uh, YN, mm. but uh, not Sneha. Sneha is no longer in the SPECS program. Ah, okay. uh, she has stopped because of her 
A-level exams, right. so she uh, withdrew from that program. Okay. But the YN has continually been uh, training under the SPECS program with uh, Tim Tiano. Yeah. So and there was continuity in that aspect of it. Yeah, and she did well at the SEA Games, yeah. uh, especially with the silver medal, if I'm not... Uh, yeah, for the team event, for the team team event ladies' event. team event. Yeah. Yeah. Josephine, in light of uh, the current coronavirus, what has SSRA done in terms of the public and national players at the facilities island-wide? I think um, as with uh, what's happening in the island, um, we have actually stepped up cleaning uh, of the facilities mm. and um, players now have to declare, take temperatures, declare um, their travel. Um, but what we've also done is that we've actually separated our groups of uh, trainees into two groups. Mm. So they actually are coming in staggered, you know, much like what the businesses are doing. So that it's actually to reduce interaction yeah. between the different groups. And they have specific times to come and leave and specific like pots to gather and report. And parents are also advised not to hang around there. So parents have to drop and leave as well. Mm. Yeah, so this is some of what we've done. Okay. And do you have club tournaments or the domestic league scheduled for these few months? Are they impacted as well? Um, actually, what we've done is the National Squash League, which uh, involves up to about 90 teams. Mm. It was actually supposed to start in March. So we have actually tentatively uh, told the community that we're pushing it back for a month to April. And then we'll see how it goes with okay. this uh, evolving situation. Okay. Yeah. Joanna Yu, uh, let's turn the attention to the squash coaches in Singapore. How many applicants do you receive on an, on, an, on an average annually for individuals who wish to become squash coaches? Um, based on a record, uh, normally SSRA will conduct uh, about two sessions of level one coaching and depending on demand level two, we may have one in two years. So per course, we take in about 14 to 18 um, participants. Okay. So uh, usually it's booked, fully booked, okay. and um, yeah, so that's what we do. And we also conduct uh, workshops, so uh, modular workshops. So basically, um, coaches can upgrade their skills. For example, if that workshop um, is about uh, footwork, mm. so they can come in just for 45 minutes just working on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so as the chairwoman of coaching, yeah. uh, you just mentioned that you do mm. conduct coaching courses yes. for... So what does the course program entail and probably the cost involved? Okay, so and, and level one Yeah. When you when you attain a level one cert mm, Yeah, what happens? What I mean, to what level can you coach? Okay, so for level one coaching is usually what we call beginner's coach. Mm. So it's the first coach for uh, players. And um, the the course um, entails um, skills and knowledge of that level and then the coaches will go through um, um, the sessions the theory sessions and then the practical sessions and how they deliver the sessions and then there will be uh, an exam conducted at the end mm. and after which they have passed the exams both theory and practical they have to go through a 20 hour um, uh, a 20 hour what we call got to lock, lock in lock, uh, lock, lock in to, 20 hours yeah lock in 20 hours to learn so like it's like a practical mm, mm, mm. yeah under a, a coach a certified coach mm. So normally a level one coach uh, coaching course will cost about three hundred dollars, okay. and a level two uh, will be four hundred and fifty. Okay. And um, to move on to a, a, a for a level one coach, you can actually start coaching in a school already. Oh, okay. Yeah, because so coaching in a school is more complicated because you got to get your first aid, you got to get uh, other certification. You combine it with um, the squash co coaching certificate, and mm. that's when you can coach in the school. Mm. 
but if you get your level two coaching cert and that's when you can actually move up to be a state coach so yeah okay. co- coaching a nation yeah all you have to do is to approach SSRA yeah right? yeah and but of course uh, sometimes we have to look at the level of squash playing skill the of that coach the competency you can't be a beginner and apply oh, to be a right. coach okay. yeah okay yeah okay <laughs> Let's turn now uh, the attention to the school's movement and youth development and is squash mm. uh, played in all primary schools or in primary schools in general? Um, right now for primary schools, we uh, the schools do not compete. The primary schools do not compete like inter-school kind of format. Okay. But a lot of little kids, they actually play individually. That means for themselves. So they learn squash okay. and they play in our local tournaments, but they do not compete for the school. So generally, these kids start their squash uh, in academies or under private coaches. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to secondary schools, yeah. does squash feature in all secondary schools in the country? If not, why? Why not? Uh, no, squash is not featured in all school secondary schools in Singapore. First of all, not all schools have got squash courts, okay. and even if they do not, um, sometimes they do not get access to public courts. Mm. It's very tough because. Um, most of the schools will want their CCA to be played straight after school. So basically with um, the limited number of squash courts, mm. it, is, it is not possible for all schools to play squash. So we do have um, about, you know, a, few, a, a number yeah. of schools playing, yeah, but not all schools. Okay. Yeah. Josephine, with the school terms already underway in 2020, um, how, how is, I mean for the benefit of our viewers, how is the sport of squash taught in schools in Singapore? I mean, is it taught by, right. are all the PE teachers squash trained or, you know, you have to bring in? Um, okay, I would say that most schools uh, with squash, what they've done is they've actually set aside a budget uh, to hire a coach specific, a squash coach uh, specific for the sport. So it's, uh, it's quite a niche sport. So I can't imagine that the PE teacher, maybe they can get the kids into the squash court, you know, give them some squash records. But Basics. to that level of competency where you want to play at a competitive level, uh, most of these schools, or in fact all of these schools actually have proper squash coaches coming in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you roughly know how many schools uh, um, have, I, have, have, have students playing squash? Right, I would say that uh, probably for the secondary school level, we have up to about seven, seven to seven girls school and maybe about nine, nine boys school. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you reckon our schools are still missing or lacking in terms of churning out talented and good squash players? I think um, this churning out of players depends on the facilities. I feel that obviously the schools with the squash courts are able to obviously have that supply, you know, because it's part of their CCA. So what we are doing is that we are trying to reach out to um, schools without the facilities. Maybe we can tie them up with a public courts or a club that is nearby their school and you know get them to sort of go there after school to play yeah. uh, so that's what we are actually trying to do right now and in fact a lot of the players uh, like what Joanna mentioned earlier they are actually starting really young these days they are starting like 6 years old 7 years old so by the time they reach that level you know that when they go to school mm. they are actually quite competent players already mm. yeah and the, the coaches will straight away identify these players and okay you can play for the school mm. yeah, so that's how the system is working right now I tried my hand at squash, I think in my college days, because my college back in Yishin Junior College, uh, they had two squash courts, and, and I was playing... Decent squash? Decent, yeah, decent. I'm decent. sure. But I, 
Uh, no, I was playing average. <laughs> <laughs> average because uh, I was better at badminton than right. this. Be- mm. Because at, at squash, I think the, the there was a fear, there was a phobia that I was going to kind of whack by the, the racket, <laughs> by the opponent, and that's why I held back, held back, and um, so I did try for a couple of months right. the sport. Uh, tennis, I never tried, so don't intend to. Too, too endurance, but yeah. So I did try, and uh, I know how hard it is uh, to, to play squash. But Joanna, mm-hmm. let's come back to you. Yeah. Do the men's uh, or women's teams do they even get the chance to go down to the schools during the year and work with the raw and amateur amateur teenage players? Um, so far, no, they haven't done that. Mm. But what we have actually done uh, when we came on board is uh, we actually have a Friday match play day mm. where. Um, some of these uh, like I talent you know talented kids who are not in national junior training but they've got lots of potential we actually invite them down mm-hmm. not every Friday but whenever they can to mm-hmm. come down and play with our national junior players mm-hmm. and that's where they interact and that's where they learn because um, to be honest the logistic of and the time schedule of our players going down to the school and getting permission to you know interact with the, the, the students you know, it, it's not sustainable. Mm, yeah. So we thought that by inviting these players to our, our courts mm. and they get to play squash, I mean, they already know how to play squash, but we are keeping them in our loop because we want to keep them interested, to get them hungry that they can one day be in the National Junior School. Yeah. So that's what we started on every Friday, match okay. play day. Okay. Yeah. And what do you hope to achieve? Mm. Oh, okay, by these mm. visits, mm. I mean, so the, mm. play, the, the students come to your locations. Yes. Okay. Uh, what do you hope to achieve with with, with uh, these visits and yeah. do you get to talent sport players who might not have initially demonstrated any potential? Um, yeah, um, I think uh, it, it's, uh, the, the talent identification is a long process and sometimes some kids actually blossom much later. Right. So it's an ongoing process I would say and when we invite them down, we want them to to know that we are looking at you so we are interested in you Mm. but sometimes the timing is not right yet Mm. you know for them to come in because we just have limited courts with limited resources we can't be you know doing you know getting everybody at the squash court so we keep them the look we 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 also make it that the the purpose of the visit is we we want them to know what's going on and get them really interested yeah Patrick, in a follow-up question, mm-hmm. uh, based on your knowledge, would you say that we already have in place a foolproof talent identi- identification system in our schools to, a- to ensure that all squash players with potential are fast-tracked to the national team setup? Well, you answer. Okay, you take it. Yeah, actually, I don't think there's a foolproof uh, system. Okay. Um, and uh, for me, um, talent identification system, I think it's already in place in terms of we have the, our academies where they are actually training the young kids. Mm. We are monitoring that. The local junior tournaments, we are also eyeballing some of these kids. Okay. So the system is in place. But to fast track them to be national players, I think it's a long process and um, there are challenges to that okay because uh, there are a few variables that we're looking at okay. when we we can identify this player but is the player being uh, well supported by the parents um, are they are they of the physical size puberty have they reached puberty to be able to play to their you know to mm. their maximum potential mm. and how can we sustain their interest in the game mm. so I think um, talent identification system is there but 
these are the variables and challenges that we have to constantly look into.